comes before the fall. Can you say that? Pride comes before the fall. Have you guys heard that saying before? I'm sure we've probably all heard that saying before. Um, and that's why I picked it is because it, when I thought of the word pride, that is the phrase that came to my mind. And we are actually going to be in Daniel chapter 4. And I don't know about you guys, but just to kind of get things started, how many of you guys have, while you sleep, still dream? Do you guys have dreams? Maybe, so we got a few people. So we don't have very many people that dream. And I've kind of noticed as I've gotten older, I have a lot less dreams while I sleep. So obviously there's not a, Trey, Trey's giving me a maybe back there. He's kind of got a few dreams. I think I had one or two this week. Um, but one of the things that we know is, especially when you read the Bible, God speaks to us at times through dreams. And, you know, if one of the few topics that we've been talking about the past couple of weeks is a book that I've been listening to on audio called I, and I Am In. And basically what it is, it's in this uh, Muslim culture. And one of the ways that you're actually finding that when you read these stories, and not just in I Am In, but in other books, but a lot of these Muslims come to faith in Christ because Jesus appears to them in a dream or another way. And there's one particular story in this book, I Am In, that kind of stuck out to me and I wanted to share with you guys tonight in the very beginning. So basically what's happened is this girl and her family, her family is a Muslim family. And she becomes a Christian. And it's her, her parents are making her marry another Muslim man in, his fam, in the family. And so what happens is when the day comes for them to actually marry, she, she refuses to marry him. And it's a whole debacle. And so this, yeah, yeah you, you, you can imagine. So you get married somebody and that, that woman says, hey, you know what, I'm not marrying that guy. So you can imagine, especially in a culture where Muslim is the dominant faith, in that area, and so it not only shames the guy she's marrying family, it also shames her family, and so it causes this big scuffle and everything else, so they call off the wedding, and so what happened was the father and the daughter eventually went home, and so what he began to do is he took off his belt, and he told her this, he says, until you renounce Christianity, I am going to beat you, and as he was beating her, over and over and over again. And she refused to renounce her Christian faith. But as she, as she was doing that, the father immediately in the middle of the beating just stopped and fell to the ground. And when he fell to the ground, the daughter looked at her dad like, Dad, what just happened? And her dad had this stone cold look on his face. And she, she was bewildered. And then her mom came running into the room and said, Did you just kill your father? She goes, no, I didn't do anything. I don't know what happened to my dad. And so she, the wife is touching the husband, trying to get him to talk, and he's not talking. And so she begins to call the ambulance. And when she's on the phone, the father speaks up and he says, don't call the hospital. I don't need it. And slowly as he began to regain what he was, his mental capacity, they said, what happened? And he said this in the book I am, and he says, that as I was beating you, all of a sudden I saw Jesus. And I saw his arms around you. And he spoke to me and said, stop beating her for she is mine. And about a week later, that entire family became a Christian. And Jesus appeared to them. And there's, the interesting thing is when you, when you see stories like that, 
You know, they're so powerful. But, you know, those are happening. Just read these books, and you see them happening around the world. You see Jesus appearing to people in dreams and visions, and people coming to Jesus because of that. And so today in our story in Daniel chapter 4, we see something, see something very similar. In an instance where God appears to King Nebuchadnezzar in a dream to reveal something to him. And God is trying to get a hold of King Nebuchadnezzar. So I'm going like, to give you guys a little bit of time to get there. But in, I'm going to paraphrase the first 18 verses just for time's sake. But we're actually going to be in verses 19, Daniel chapter 4, 19 through 37. And basically what's happening is King Nebuchadnezzar has had another dream. This guy has a lot of dreams, by the way. He's got, I think, two, for sure two, maybe another one in there, uh, recorded uh, of a dream that God's trying to speak to him. And Daniel was able to help interpret the very first dream. And so what's happening right now is King Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream and he wants to know the interpretation of it. And he calls his magicians, he calls his astrologers, he calls the people that represent his God to come and interpret this dream. But guess what? They can't do it, can they? They can't interpret it. And the funny thing that I think I see in this story is Daniel is like the last person that's called, but he's already interpreted a dream for, before him before. So Daniel's not really his first choice, but one of the reasons that he actually did this, uh, I believe, is because really... His God, obviously, he didn't really worship the God of Israel. And so because he didn't worship that God, he wanted to call on his prophets first. And so it kind of had to have been a slap in the face to King Nebuchadnezzar to have to call on this Jewish captive to come interpret his dream. And so here we have Daniel entering the scene and entering the story. And so he, the Nebuchadnezzar reveals a dream to him, and Daniel is about ready to give him the interpretation, which we have here in verse 19, Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to be reading now the ESV tonight, um, and it should be on the screen for us as well if you guys need to look up there. But verse 19 says this, Then Daniel, everybody say, Then Daniel. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed at this time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said to Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. So just going to stop right there. What we kind of, what I set the scene for is Daniel is brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, and it's time for Daniel to interpret the dream. So Daniel is about ready to interpret the dream, but one of the things that happens here is Daniel knows what the dream actually means. And he knows that it's not actually a good news. Like what he's about ready to say is not going to be something that King Nebuchadnezzar is probably going to want to hear. So Nebuchadnezzar knows, notices this and he says, Daniel, tell me the interpretation of the dream. And Belshazzar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and the meaning of your adversaries. And last week we talked about this, you know, as Christians, when we're going out and we're talking to people that aren't followers of Christ or whatever it may be, how important it is to be tactful in the way that we go about it. Because it's not always about winning the argument, it's more about winning people over. Am I right? Because it's easy to win the argument. I can win a lot of arguments. But it's one thing just to win the argument. It's another thing to win them over. And you want to, and that's what Daniel's seeing right here. And he's saying, you know, may this be for your enemies and meaning to your adversaries. And going on in verse 20, it says this, The tree saw which grew large and strong. 
and its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth. That's a big tree. You ever seen a tree that big touching the sky, that big where it's visible to the whole earth? That is a big tree. And verse 21 says, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. You, majesty, are that tree. So he is telling King Nebuchadnezzar, you are this huge, magnificent tree. And I don't know about you guys, would you guys kind of, if thou, you had a dream, and Daniel said, you are this huge tree, probably puff your chest out a little bit and be like, yeah, I am that tree. You know what I mean? Like, make you feel good about yourself. So I can just imagine King Nebuchadnezzar, even though Daniel's about ready to give him some really bad news, like, hey, I'm this great, wonderful tree that's visible for all the earth to see. And so what I did is I actually have a picture. I didn't draw this picture. I found it on uh, uh, the old Google. If you can pour that, pull that up for me. I want you guys to understand how big King Nebuchadnezzar's rule and reign was. And so you guys can actually see that in, in the picture. So obviously Israel has been taken over. So the Babylonian Empire reigned from about 606 B.C. to 536. So remember, it subtracts, so it's not like, you know, we do 1, 2, 3, 4. So, but 606 to 536. And his empire went all the way from Egypt, Turkey, Iraq, Syria, and Iran. That's a big empire. And now keep in mind, they don't have planes. They don't have cars. They don't have all these different things. Like, this guy has massive amounts of control. And the second thing is this, he is literally the most powerful man in all of the world. Like, has, has anybody in this room uh, gone to that status yet? Like, I'm not even the most powerful man in my home. Like, he's the most powerful man in the entire world. I mean, you think about that. That is power. And we see that, how he got that power, in Daniel chapter 2, verses 37 through 38. We actually didn't read this one, but I wanted to read it for you. And it says this, your majesty, you are the king of kings. And so when he says king of kings to, and this is Daniel talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, he's saying of human kings. You are the king of kings of human kings. The God of the heaven has given. And that key is, that phrase is key throughout this entire book. The God of heaven is, has given. You dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the fields. I can't even get my dog to wipe his feet. Like, this guy has control of everything. He has control of beasts. Now, I'm probably sure he's not taming these beasts throughout this time, but that's just where my mind went. And of the field and the birds in the sky, when at, wherever they live, he made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. So that's another interpretation that he has. So we understand how powerful King Nebuchadnezzar is during this time. Do you agree? Like, it's a pretty powerful, powerful guy. So going on, it says this, and I'm going to read these scriptures in the re in through um, verse about 27. And I'm going to read these, and then will, basically what it's going to do is it's going to repeat the actual uh, actions taking, taking part. So I'm just going to read through these. And verse 23 says this, Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven, and saying, cut down that tree and destroy it. But leave the stump. I don't want to be the tree no more. <laughs> if he's the tree, I don't want to be the tree no more. Bound with iron and bronze. In the grass in the field, while its roots remain in the ground, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. 
This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree that the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from your people, and you will live with the wild animals. I can imagine somebody telling me that, and I'd be like, yeah, that's not going to happen. You know, I, I'm not going to be driven. But here's what he's saying. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump in the tree with its roots mean that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased and accepted my advice. And I want you to catch this. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. So what is he, a- what is he asking him? He, or telling him here. He's saying, you have sinned. God has made this dream, and he's telling you what's going to happen. But King Daniel, not King Daniel, but Daniel is asking him to repent. And it says there, right there, renounce your sins by doing what is right. And we know that the word repent means to change one's mind. John the Baptist and when Jesus, they both started their ministry, one of the first things they began to talk about, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's telling him, if you repent, and he goes on, and your witness by being kind and oppressed, it may be that your prosperity will continue. So he's saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, if you repent here, God may relent from what's about ready to happen. For the things that's about ready to happen to you, because you don't fully understand it just yet. And so that's what he's pleading with him. And going on in verse 28, says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, I don't know about you guys, the Bible says this. It says, the word of God will not return void. So King Nebuchadnezzar has had this vision, he has a dream, and he has had this interpretation. But it takes 12 months in order for it to actually come to fruition. That's a while. And so I can just imagine King Nebuchadnezzar like, oh, great, Dan- great, Daniel, thanks for the interpretation. And then, you know, one month goes by. And then two months go by. And three months go by. And four months go by. And he probably forgot about this and was like, whatever, this ain't going to happen anyways. That's probably what's happened. So 12 months have gone by in this. And in verse 29 it says, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built? As the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And I want you guys to understand, I got another picture up here. I did not draw this one either. I pulled it off the old Google. And you have to understand, obviously we saw um, how, um, the, how extensive his, um, his reign and rule was. I was drawing a blank there. But not only that, King Nebuchadnezzar is known for these great cities. He's known for these great big gardens and these big huge monuments. And so King Nebuchadnezzar has done some great things. So when he makes the statement, I have built all of this, like he's actually speaking some truth. But it goes back to what he doesn't realize is that God's given him all authority to do all of that. And so we see these great f- feats. And verse 31 says this, even as the words were on his lips. Did you know that God hears every single word that you and I speak? Every careless word. I was reading today in Matthew. Well, we will be held accountable for what we speak. And it says, even as the words were on his lips, like instantly it set everything into motion. 
So God knows what we say in public. He knows what we say in private. He knows every single thing that comes or even thought in our lives. And it goes on and says, this is, or words on his lips, a voice came from heaven. Everybody say, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, O King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. Like, I bet, I bet he wish he could take that one back. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, man, wish I wouldn't have said that. It, it, what he said literally keyed everything on here. And as I was thinking about this, I was kind of thinking of an analogy here about how King Nebuchadnezzar um, and how God allowed him to rule and reign in this time period. But I was thinking about my, my sister. She's off to college in, in Georgia, Gainesville, Georgia. And, and it's so funny about my sister, and the reason I say this is because she's probably not going to watch this anyways. And I, and I say this because she's very possessive of the things that she has. And the funny thing about of it, none of it's hers. Like, for instance, she has a car, and she'll always get into it with my dad, no matter what car it's ever been, don't touch my car. Don't touch my car. And it's so funny because at the end of the day, she never bought the car. She never had the title for the car. So technically, the car is not actually hers. But in her mind, that it's her car because that's what she drives. And that is similar to the situation that we have here. God owns the car. Nebuchadnezzar is just driving it. See what I mean? Do you see the illustration here? You see what's happening. So King Nebuchadnezzar and God takes his, his authority away from him. And verse 32 says this, You will be driven away from the people and with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by. I don't know about you guys, that's not a good day. You know what I mean? Like, and actually, there is a term for this that I found as I was kind of listening to some commentaries. It's called boanthropy. Any of you guys ever heard of it? And I may be pronouncing it wrong. But basically, here's what boanthropy is. A strange condition in which a person, usually male, begins to lose their sanity, eventually beginning to believe themselves to be an ox. That's what boanthropy is. And so this is what King Nebuchadnezzar, so actually, not just King Nebuchadnezzar, there's another guy that had this condition, and so that's how they were able to say, this is boanthropy. And so God has made him like this, in a way. And it's interesting, it says seven times will pass over him. Now, you say, oh, that's a little crazy, that's not, that, there's no way that could happen. But one thing that you've got to understand is kings during that time were very prideful. And they wanted to let people know from if, in future kings or whatever it may be that when they accomplish something, we're going to write it down and we're going to show it and we're going to make sure everybody knows of all of my great accomplishments. So you know King Nebuchadnezzar, very prideful man, very proud of what he has built. Did you know this, that there is no records for King Nebuchadnezzar between 582 B.C. and 575 B.C.? which is seven years. There's nothing. And it's like he's just gone off the map. And so a lot of times we know that when a king doesn't talk about stuff for, through a specific period, it's because something bad went wrong. Like something didn't go good. Like, like something, there's a disappearance for seven years of the records with King Nebuchadnezzar in this story. And going on, it says this, For you, until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone 
he wishes. God is in control. And as I was praying and as I was thinking about this story and just kind of just pondering it, it began to give me a perspective of how in control God really is. Like in our lives, when we think about our situations, when we think about things that are happening, how in control God really is. God has literally taken the most powerful man in all of the world at this period and didn't fight him. He didn't send anybody to send a sword. He didn't try to kill him. He just, hey, you're going to be an ox. Think about that. Like that is how in control God is of this situation. Like, that's crazy to think about. And I began to think in my own life, you know, I begin to worry about so much stuff. Like, this guy was untouchable. In an instant, because he didn't acknowledge God and put himself as God, he literally loses his mind. And immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. So we know that God's word cannot return void. And it says, he was driven away from people and ate grass like an ox. I mean, just a normal man doing that and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird so this guy didn't i mean he just didn't like he took the whole character like he was going all out you know if he was going to do it he was going to do this full force i had a roommate in college at one point we had like six people living in the house and one particular roommate that i had he could quote scripture better than anybody i've ever met like i mean you verse scripture, he's got it. And he was incredible about how well he quoted the scripture. And I remember one particular time, about a year into it, he, uh, he, he literally lost his mind. And when I say that, how many of you, have you ever seen somebody like lose their mind? Anybody show of hands? Like have you seen somebody just lose it? And he literally was probably 28 years old at the time. He had to have had the mental capacity of like a five-year-old. Like, he came in, he's like, hey, Blake, how you doing, Blake? Good to see you, Blake. Haven't slept for two days. And I'm like, oh, I'll take care of that. And I gave him about half a bottle of NyQuil. And I, and I had a little pillow barrier, and I was like, dear Lord, please don't let him stab me in my sleep. So what I did is I put on some Joyce Myers, and I said, hey, watch this. I figured, hey, you need some Jesus in you. You know, let somebody talk to you while I sleep. I had a little pillow barrier. I was in the loft, and I was like, please don't mess with me. And the girl's like, I can't keep him. I'm like, I don't blame you. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to keep him either, but you brought him here. And, and so he's... He's in my floor in the middle of the night, and literally his mind was gone. He's a normal person. You would meet him. You'd be like, he's very charismatic, very great personality. But literally, he lost his mind. And here that's what we see. We see King Nebuchadnezzar lose his mind. And verse 34 says this, At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the highest and honored and glorified him who lives forever. So we see King Nebuchadnezzar over the seven-year period that he as an individual begins to come to repentance. He begins to change his mind and he begins to realize who is truly in control. In verse going on, it says, His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold him back or hand or say to him, what have you done? And it said this in verse 36. I want you to catch this. At that same time. Earlier we said at the same time he began to speak, it put everything into fruition. 
But guess what? He began to speak praises to God, and it says, at the same time. My sanity was restored. My honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. And I think this is so interesting. Like, a lot of times we skip over this. Like, we, we don't pay attention, but I want to read this again. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. So as I was thinking about this, I'm preaching you to you today. If I go off and I just lose my mind, and I'm gone for seven years, do you think I, when I come back to this church, Paul's going to be like, hey, you want to preach tonight? Like, you think about that. Like, he's probably not going to let me preach after me losing my mind for seven years, acting like an ox, eating grass, not taking care of myself. And obviously, as hairy as I am, I'd have probably looked like a bear um, out here in the living in the woods. I mean, I got hair everywhere. And so if I went through this, it would not be a good deal. I'd survive, though. I'd live. I'd be able to, I can hunt and kill stuff. But I was just thinking, as I was thinking about this, seven years. And so that's how you see that God is in control. Because guess what? King Nebuchadnezzar goes right back to what he was doing. That's, that's powerful to see the control that God has. And if the worship team wants to come back up. And going on, it says, My adversaries and nobles sought me out. I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. The guy already had everything. Now he's greater. He just lost his mind for seven years. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalted to glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And I want you to understand this. You know, I, I open this message with dreams. And I want you to understand this message is not about dreams. That's not what it's about. This story is not about dreams, how to interpret your dreams or whatever it may be. What it's actually about is this next phrase. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble and this whole story is situated because of King Nebuchadnezzar's pride and his failure to acknowledge the king of the true king of kings and the true lord of lords. And as I was doing some old googling, I tried to look up the Greek word for pride and it said pride. So that didn't help me out. So pride is pride and, and so just but as I went to as I went to old Merriam-Webster and there's about three different inter definitions and I felt like this one felt um, like it really connected and it's a feeling that you are more important or better than other people. That describes King Nebuchadnezzar in this story. And you know, it's easy for us to see people in the scripture and be like, man, that guy is very prideful. But as I was asking and just thinking about my own life, you know, what areas are we prideful in? What areas do I have pride in? Because obviously we know it's not a good characteristic. It's not a quality that God says, man, I would just wish my people could be more prideful. Like, that's not, that's not a characteristic that he is wanting. And I wanted to kind of close with a story. About a few years back, I was selling cars. And some of you guys have heard this story. Some of you haven't. That's okay. I'm going to retell it. And I was selling cars. And when I was doing that, things were going well. I was young. I was 24, 25 years old. Now I'm real old at age 29. And as I was selling cars, one of the things that you got to know is once you hit three years, that's when you start to get a lot more repeat customers. And about two and a half years into it, our bosses had a meeting with everybody and said, I just want to let you know that we've sold the business. And I'm like, you what? 
and they're like, oh, you know, it's going to be better. You know, they're going to give you a better sales plan. You're going to make more money. Nope. Not happening. And so towards the end of that six-month period after they sold it, I, I stayed. And I was like, you know what, Lord? I, I really felt like the Lord was saying, I need you to leave. I want you to leave your job. I said, hey, I'm tired of this. I'm ready to go. And so throughout that period, I had a lot of great faith. I had a lot of big faith. I just knew God was going to give me a better job. God was going to make it quick. He was going to make it speedy because I, I have a lot of faith. I, I believe that God was going to make an easy transition for me because I knew the Lord was calling me to leave my job. And so I left it, um, I think it was like November 1st or somewhere around there. And I began to pray, God, I pray that you give me a job with better pay, better hours, better benefits by December 1st. Guess what happened December 1st? There was no job. The only thing I had was I had a pastor randomly call me at the time. I literally had like a 30-second conversation with him in the last two years. And he said, hey, you want to meet for coffee? I was like, I don't like coffee, but sure. So we met. And as we talked, he said, I want you to be an intern at our church. But it doesn't pay anything. And so when December 1st came around, the only option I had was an internship at the time. And I figured, you know what? I'm still looking, can't find anything. Maybe God's trying, you know what? He'll give me a job soon, so might as well do this. Six months later, job after job after job, I would go to job interviews, and the Lord would be like, no, I don't want you to do that. I'm like, what do you mean? Or they would literally offer me the job, and I'm like, yeah, I can't do this. And then all I did was, during that time, I began to work for a guy just part-time. Hours were real skewed. There wasn't much to them. They weren't dependable. I made like 8 or $10 an hour part-time. And it was back-breaking work, tearing up floors, tearing out walls, all these different things. And there was one particular scripture that entire time that kept coming up to me as I would go to the Lord in prayer because I spent more time seeking Him, more time praising Him than I had ever. I think I read through the Bible in that entire nine-month period or whatever it was. And it was simply this on the screen, James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. And it came up to me over and over and over again. So I want to ask you guys in your own life, what are the areas that you can work on? What are the areas that maybe the Lord's trying to do something in you, but He can't because your pride's in the way? Maybe there's something in your own life that He's trying to do, but He can't get your attention. So what I want to do is we're going to have a couple songs here in worship. And if you guys want to stand, if you guys, you're going through something and you want to come up here and just worship in these altars. But what I want to do is I just want you guys to really just dive in this time and think about and begin to ask God, what areas in my life are you asking me to change? What areas are you asking me to do something in? Church, let's pray. God, I just ask that you just begin to speak to each and every one. Lord, I just ask that you just begin to do something special in the hearts and lives. Lord, I just ask you to just take the scripture and take the word and you allow it to penetrate our hearts into something special as we begin to worship, as we begin to seek you and we begin to pursue you. 
God, the, the things that we've brought in this place, the, the trials, the struggles, the hardships, you know all of them. And as we learn tonight how in control you are when it seems like you're not in control. God, we just want to praise you and we want to worship you, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you just begin to touch people in such a powerful way, Lord. God, we just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Before I know that you've even 